But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Please allow us to look unto your word and see your mercy. Help us believe and trust in your mercy afresh this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would be empowered to not just be mere hearers of your word, but doers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt insecure or perhaps left out or like an outcast at any point in your life? I believe that most of us in some way have experienced this, and it could be really difficult, often debilitating and even traumatic to experience this. We can often brush off these moments when we feel this way, but I don't want to make little of this or minimize how hard it can be. When I used to work full-time as a licensed clinician for the Department of Mental Health, I remember being in counseling sessions and having clients come in and share how people's words or actions caused them to feel insecure, alone, like outcasts, and how it had profound and lasting effects on them that were often hurtful and traumatizing and felt for years. Perhaps this resonates with you, or even if it doesn't, we can all sympathize with this because at some point we might have had these feelings. Perhaps some of us have felt it physically. We get consumed by thoughts about insecurities about how we look. You feel discouraged about your own self-image, feeling like maybe you're too skinny or too heavy. Maybe you grew up having acne or maybe at some point you've had a rash and you feel like everyone is staring at you. And maybe you even felt miserable, you felt ugly, and at worst, maybe picked on by others for that. You probably felt overwhelmed, sad, frustrated, and all you wanted was that physical thing to go away or change. Or perhaps some of us have felt insecure, left out, or like an outcast socially. Maybe you feel a bit socially awkward. Maybe it's hard for you to make friends. Perhaps you saw yourself as the odd one out in your friend groups. Maybe you always always didn't feel like you were the smartest or the most outgoing person. Maybe you felt like you were the one person that people joked about because you didn't quite fit in. Perhaps you struggle with people-pleasing, fear of missing out, fear of rejection for not being good enough to fit in socially. Maybe most times you feel misunderstood and alone when it comes to your social life. Or maybe you have felt this spiritually. Maybe you compare yourself to other Christians around you and you feel like you're less mature. And you wonder how you can struggle so much with particular sins, but others seem to have it all together. Maybe you don't know as much theology. Maybe you're not as consistent with your Bible reading or your prayer time and you feel like less of a Christian. Maybe you just feel distant from God and wonder why everyone seems to be closer to him. Maybe you feel like a fake and wonder what to do with the doubt you have. Even within the context of a local church, you are left feeling insecure, alone, left out, like an outcast. At some point, many of us have experienced at least one of these things. And when we look at this passage, 
We find these 10 lepers who understood and knew what it meant to feel all three of these things in every area of their life, physically, socially, spiritually. At first glance, many of us can read this passage and assume that this passage is about a moral lesson. You know, to be more thankful, be like the one, not like the nine. However, while it's true that we can't be more thankful, if we walk away from this passage and really all of the Bible thinking that it's mainly about morality and doing good things, we are really missing the point. See, all of the Bible, including this passage, points us to Jesus, the gospel, and the news about who Jesus is and what he's done. The gospel saves us not only from our unrighteousness, but our own self-righteousness from the temptation to think that we can actually be moral enough to earn God's favor. See, this passage is not primarily about morality, but about pointing us to Jesus and his mercy. Here, the Gospel of Luke wants us to see the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. So this is our goal this morning. My hope is that God would allow us to see the mercy of God in Jesus through this text. And in order to do that, we have two points this morning. Two things we need to do to rightly see the mercy of God. Point number one, know your need for mercy. Point number one, know your need for mercy. And that's going to be in verses 11 to 14. And point number two, have saving faith in the merciful one. Point number two, have saving faith in the merciful one, verses 15 to 19. So let's go to our first point. Know your need for mercy, verses 11 to 14. Here in verse 11, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And prior to entering into the village, he runs into these 10 men with a serious skin disease known as leprosy. Now, I don't want you to miss this very important thing in verse 11. Luke tells us that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. This is no small statement and no mere geographical fun fact. The Gospels are very intentional when using on the way to Jerusalem because Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Jesus' death was no accident. Jesus was aware of what was going to happen to him once he arrived in Jerusalem, and he was willing and determined to take on the cross for our sin. This is important for us to understand because as Jesus gets closer and closer to his death, he's on this way to Jerusalem doing all these miraculous works. He's healing. He's raising the dead. He's providing for various needs, including what we're about to read. And all of these miracles serve as a small picture and a foreshadow of Jesus's ultimate work. See, on the cross, Jesus will reverse the curse of sin. It is a foreshadow of how one day all suffering All sickness, death will be no more because of Jesus and what he will accomplish on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection guarantees the reversal of sin and the curse that has gone wrong in all of creation. So again, when we read this passage, we need to read it within that framework of what Jesus is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So here, verse 12, we find Jesus walking into a village and 10 men with leprosy meet Jesus. Now, it's important that we understand what it meant for someone who had leprosy during this time and really get their desperation. Leprosy was a skin disease that would start off with whitish, pinkish spots and eventually would spread throughout your body. It would make your skin extremely scaly and it would result in large, tumorous bumps and swelling all over your body, including your face. The bacteria would then attack your entire nervous system, causing you to lose feeling in your toes, in your fingers, and all other parts of your bodies. 
This meant that individuals were not aware when they cut themselves, when they were bleeding, or when they burned themselves or anything. Commentators cite historical accounts of people having their fingers or toes eaten by rats in their sleeps, in their sleep and not being aware of it. Now, let me remind you that this wasn't a time exactly where people wore socks or closed-toed shoes and streets were quite filthy. So this often meant that different parts of their body would get infected and it would re eventually result in gangrene and rotting of the flesh. The bacteria would then attack the bone marrow and make your bones very weak and brittle. This meant that someone with leprosy could be walking and their bones would penetrate and pierce through their flesh at a given moment and they wouldn't even be able to feel it. Your body slowly begins to deteriorate and eventually it would fall apart on itself. Once you had leprosy, it would not be a very positive outlook for your life. Often, it meant a very horrific outcome. But leprosy was much more than a physical condition. It was a social and spiritual one as well. This condition was horrific and it was so bad that the Old Testament had laws about dealing with someone who had the disease. In Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about how anyone with leprosy had to be put out of the camp. They could not commune with God's people. They could not be in God's presence. They had to exit to be outside of the camp to not defile or make anyone else unclean. You see, to have leprosy meant that you were unclean. It meant being isolated. It meant being cut off from your family, friends, and all other people. You couldn't be around anyone because you were considered unclean. In fact, when you were as a leper, when people started to approach you, it was your job to shout, unclean, unclean to warn people around you to stay away because they were getting too close. You were required to live outside villages and cities away from everyone. So not only did leprosy impact you physically and socially, but most significantly, it impacted you spiritually. These individuals could not meet with the people of God. They could not worship. They were not allowed to enter the temple where the presence of God dwelt. They were completely cut off from any spiritual means as well. In fact, many saw leprosy as a curse, a judgment for God for sin. That was the miserable situation that these 10 people found themselves in. Their condition impacted them physically, socially, spiritually. They were outcasted, cut off, alone. Really, the only thing that these lepers had were themselves and other lepers who could relate to their condition, and that's it. Here in verses 12 and 13, as soon as they see Jesus, they immediately meet him. Notice they keep their distance as it's required of them. They don't come close to Jesus and his followers because of their condition. But in verse 13, rather than saying unclean, unclean, like they're supposed to, they shout out something else. Jesus, have mercy on us. Anyone with leprosy was in desperate need. They had been made aware of Jesus's reputation to heal, to forgive, to bring peace to those who were in need, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the demon-possessed, the tax collectors. They see Jesus as the one who has acted mercifully to those in need. And if there's anyone in need, it's these 10 lepers. So what do they do? They shout out for mercy. You see, the biggest problem for these lepers is that there's absolutely no way they can cleanse themselves or heal themselves or fix themselves. They are utterly hopeless in their condition and nothing could bring relief to their state. 
And so, all of a sudden, they see Jesus, the one who has been known to have authority, to do the unthinkable, to do the impossible, to extend mercy to those in need. Remember, these 10 lepers have no friends, no family, no work, no livelihood. They can't commune with God and his people. They've lost all dignity. Their identity has become their condition. Their leprosy, their leprosy defines who they are in every single dimension of their life. Everything is affected by it. They're desperate. They know their need. And so they do the only thing they could do in their condition. They cry out to Jesus for mercy. And notice when they call out, they call him master. They recognize Jesus as one who has authority, one with honor, one who has power to do something about their condition. They know Jesus' reputation and what he's been doing, and so they address him as master. They are at the mercy of his power, and they request Jesus to do something about their condition. They see Jesus as the only source that can finally bring relief to their problem, to their condition, and there is no other options for them. So they cry out for mercy, knowing their desperate need. Jesus is it. Let's see Jesus' response in verse 14. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now that seems strange. Jesus could have healed him there, but he doesn't. Feels rude a little bit, like, go to the priests. That's not what's happening here, right? Seems almost rude. But these 10 are asking Jesus in this desperate mood, in this desperate moment, to heal them. But see, what you need to understand here is what we read earlier after, um, before our prayer of confession. In Leviticus 13 and 14, the priests were the health inspectors of that day. So if you ever had a skin disease, it was the priest who essentially had the job of declaring someone as a leper or not a leper. Someone clean or unclean. Someone accepted or not accepted. See, Jesus doesn't heal them on the spot like he's done so many times with so many other people. I mean, he certainly has the power to do so. We've seen him do it time and time again in the Gospels. But why doesn't he do it here? He wants to test their faith. They haven't experienced any healing yet. But Jesus wants them to trust his word. Jesus tells them to go to the priest. And the only reason they would ever go to a priest in their condition was if somehow they were healed. That would be the only reason for them to go to the priest, to be declared clean, accepted, to be welcomed back. That's the only reason these lepers would have to go to a priest. He's asking the 10 to go to the priest with the assumption and trust that he would, in fact, heal them. Remember, these 10 lepers were not allowed to go into the city, and especially not near the temple or anywhere near the priest in their condition. He wants to test their faith. And is this not the essence of faith? Jesus asking us to trust his word and what he's accomplished, even if we haven't seen it yet or it hasn't been fully realized. This is what he's asking of the 10. They recognize their desperate need and they see Jesus as the one with mercy that could heal them. Their last hope and so they do it. We read here as they are still on the way to the priest, we found out that they are all healed. All of them. Jesus heals all of them. They had listened to Jesus' words, and they were completely healed whole. As soon as Jesus saw them, even before he told them to go to the priest, he was already set to provide these lepers with the mercy to heal them from their condition. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, when we think about leprosy in the whole of the Bible, as horrible as it is in the story, 
it points and symbolizes something much more horrific and worse. Leprosy in the Bible serves as a graphic picture of the reality and condition of sin. It points to the condition that I have and you all have. See, leprosy meant being unclean, unrighteous, unacceptable, a sign of judgment, defiled, unable to commune with God, cursed, utterly hopeless. And that's exactly what we all are before the presence of God in our sin. Just like these lepers can't cleanse themselves or heal themselves or fix their situation, there's nothing we can do to change the condition of our sin. Just like their disease numbed their body and eventually leads to their destruction and death, so it is with sin. Sin numbs us. It numbs our consciences. It seeks to destroy us. And apart from Christ, it eventually leads to eternal death, judgment, and being cut off from God forever. Sin is the condition that we all have as fallen people. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is our condition. Because of the fall, we find ourselves in a desperate condition and in desperate need for mercy. Sin, just like leprosy, negatively alters and impacts every dimension of your life. The physical, the social, the spiritual. It affects all of it. All areas of your life are tainted by the condition of sin, and there is no hope that we have in our condition apart from Christ. We cannot fix ourselves or heal ourselves from this condition. We are in need of something outside of ourselves to remedy our condition. In our sin, we are completely cut off, rejected, unacceptable, unclean, unrighteous, and defiled before God. No one in this room is immune to this condition. It's in all of us. When sin came into the world during the fall, it made us all sinners. It brought disease, pain, hurt, death into the world. We feel this. We are broken. We see the thing that we see that things are not like they ought to be. We can look at the unfortunate events happening happening around us and we know this to be true. We see sin wrecking havoc in our lives and in this world. We feel how our physical bodies can break down or become ill with disease. We know how our social lives can be negatively impacted by conflict, strife, abuse, and other things. We know that we can struggle spiritually amidst the sinful and selfish desires of our hearts. This is our condition. We need to see it and we need to know just how desperate our state, our state is. Just like these lepers, we need God's mercy. See, it's important that we get this because it's easy to want to hide our condition. It's our natural instinct. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they sinned and felt shame and guilt and saw their condition, the first thing they do is they try to cover up, to hide it from each other, to hide from God. As Christians, we can do the same. We can try to perform and pretend so things appear seemingly better in order to hide the spiritual leprosy that is there. We don't want God or others to really see who we are or what we've done because we don't want them to see our true condition. This is where we need to see the mercy of God that's available to us in the gospel and in Jesus. 
Jesus comes into the world to reverse the effects of curse, the curse of sin that has entered the world of Genesis 3. He's the only human being that did not suffer from the condition of sin. He was perfect, clean, righteous, fully accepted by God, pure, and yet he dies on the cross. He takes on our leprosy, on our guilt, our shame, our faults, our uncleanliness, our unrighteousness, and places all of that on himself at the cross. He is rejected and forsaken. Jesus takes on all of that on the cross, and he doesn't hide or cover up. He's fully exposed, broken, bloody, naked, and takes the wrath of God that we all deserve for our sin. When he does this, he gives us his righteousness. He heals us from the condition of sin. This is a great exchange that happened. He provides the mercy that we desperately need in our sinful condition. Jesus rises from the dead, ensuring that he has given us mercy, and one day, all sin will be gone. The curse will be reversed. In Revelation 21, we read that Jesus one day will return and get rid of sin and its impact. Every illness, every horrible condition, every hurt, every pain, death will be no more. We'll be able to enjoy him forever without any of these things. That's the hope you have in Jesus. That is his amazing mercy. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants you to know that your condition is no longer defined by sin. If you are in Christ, you have his righteousness. This now defines your standing before God. Some of us may feel overwhelmed and discouraged this morning because it seems like we are seeing more and more of our sin. However, is that not the work of God in a Christian's life? See, part of growing in Christian maturity is seeing more and more of our sin. And do you know why? Because it allows the Holy Spirit to point us to Christ and to his mercy. The more we see our sin, the more we cling to and come to the cross time and time again to receive mercy upon mercy from Jesus. Listen to J.C. Ryle commenting on this passage. Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. We must know the depth of our malignity, of our disease, in order to appreciate the great physician. Or Charles Spurgeon, you are not mature if you have a high esteem of yourself. He who boasts in himself is but a baby in Christ, if indeed he is in Christ at all. Young Christians think much of themselves. Growing Christians think themselves nothing. However, mature Christians know that they are less than nothing. The more holy we are, the more we mourn our infirmities, and the humbler is our estimate of ourselves. So Christian, you don't have to hide the fact that you're a sinner. Admitting that you're a sinner makes the gospel sweeter and brings you back to it time and time again to receive its mercy. This is what Christian maturity is. So Christian, do not linger in shame or guilt when it comes to your sin. Come to God and receive his mercy. While we still struggle with sin in Christ, we are accepted, we are clean, we are pure, we are righteous. Jesus is asking you to trust his word that he in fact has healed you. To pretend and to perform is to not trust God and his mercy. He wants you to have faith, not in yourself and what you do, but on who he is and what he's done for you. The Christian life is not about trying harder, covering up your sin, doing more and making it seem like you have it all together. It's about Jesus. It's the truth that our identity is no longer defined by our sin, but by his mercy. Now you might be here this morning and you might think, Danny, you just don't get it. 
I feel so distant from God. I keep falling into the sin over and over. I can't get over the shame and guilt. Yes, I hear you that I have mercy in Jesus, but for me, I just feel like I can't have this mercy. How can God accept someone like me who just keeps messing up? And what I want to encourage you with you, brother or sister, is that Jesus is able to sympathize with you. At the cross, Jesus felt more distant and cut off than any of us could ever possibly feel. He was completely cut off and forsaken on the cross so that you would never have to be. So come to him, admit your condition, repent, receive his mercy. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to know your need for mercy and that this mercy only comes through Jesus. The only way you'll ever cry out is to know your actual condition. You need to realize the bad news of your condition before you're able to fully grasp the good news of the gospel. Jesus is inviting you right now to cry out for his mercy in order for him to bring you peace, comfort, hope, and mercy that is beyond anything that this world can offer you. The world may offer you things to cover up your leprosy, things to meet your needs, but they will fail you. God is calling you to turn away from these things, to repent and trust in him alone. You have no other options, just like these 10 lepers. Jesus can meet you in your desperate state. He doesn't want you to clean up or get better on your own. Christianity is not about moralism or what you do. Rather, it's about who he is and what he's done for you in his mercy. God wants you to trust him now in whatever condition you're in. He wants to provide the mercy you need. Let's go to point number two. Have saving faith in the merciful one. Have saving faith in the merciful one, verses 15 to 19. Have saving faith in the merciful one. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. In verse 15, the story takes a shift here. As the ten are on their way to the priest, one of them is able to see that he is healed. He's able to see something that the others don't. Now, it's interesting here. We talked about how horrific this condition was. That means that the 10 surely knew as soon as they were healed. They could feel it in their bodies. They might have gotten that sense of feeling back. So they would have known right away. However, it says that this one guy is able to see something that the others are not amidst the miraculous healing that has just occurred. This man was not only able to have the mercy of God in his healing, but he was able to see Jesus in it. He had not only realized the power of his healing, but the power of the one who had healed him and been merciful to him. He saw something that the other nine didn't see, and that's what sets him apart. We saw that in his healing, the miracle pointed back to who Jesus really was. That's what he sees. He sees this and realizes it, and he turns back and goes to Jesus. See, the focus of this passage, again, is not so much about the healing of the leprosy, but the response of this one man and what he sees in Jesus that's different than the rest of them. The rest of them go towards the temple to the priest, but who can blame them? We talked about this. Can you imagine knowing that you're healed? All you need to do is get to those priests and your whole life would be radically different than it's been. The thought of reuniting with your family and friends, the ability to finally step foot in the temple and be with God and his people, can you imagine them running as fast as they could the moment that they realized that they were healed? And isn't that what Jesus told them to do anyway? And yet, this man doesn't go to this, the priest. He turns to Jesus. He realizes that he doesn't need to go to the priest because he's in the very presence of the great high priest, in the presence of God himself. He doesn't need a priest to declare him clean or unclean or go to the temple to commune with God. 
He was before the presence of God and Jesus had declared him clean. He is able to look beyond the healing to the healer. He is able to see the giver behind the gift that he just received. He sees the mercy of God in Jesus. So what does he do? What is his response? He turns back to Jesus and notice, with a loud voice gives glory to God. It's a small illustration of repentance. It's turning back to Jesus and seeking to give glory to God. Notice in verse 13, he had raised his voice, but now in this verse, he's shouting. The word here in the Greek is the word for megaphone. He's shouting louder now as a healed man who sees Jesus than he was as a desperate leper without hope. This shout is one of joy. It's one of giving all glory to God. And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 16. He falls face down at Jesus' feet and thanks him. He falls into a posture of worship. He knows that Jesus was more than a mere, he knows that Jesus was more than a mere man or healer. It was great that he was healed. Again, you can imagine how he would have felt knowing that his life would be radically different, but he wasn't overwhelmed by that. No, he is overwhelmed by Jesus and he cannot contain his praise. He gets down at the feet of Jesus and thanks him. The man came to the great high priest. He came back to the ultimate healer who could provide healing for his greatest need that went beyond his leprosy. Look at verse 16. Notice that this verse wants to point something out very intentionally here. We learned that this guy was a Samaritan. See, a Samaritan was someone who was Jewish, but also mixed race. The Jewish people saw them as permanently unclean and impure. Down to the very being, the Samaritans were seen as second-class citizens and outcasts because they were not pure Jews. Even when it came to worshiping in the temple, the Samaritans were not allowed to be in the inner courts. They had to be in the outer court with other foreigners, and they were restricted to that, away from God's people, from the holy place, and far from the holy of holies. So this specific guy didn't just have it bad as a leper. On top of that, he was a Samaritan. It was unthinkable that Jesus would heal a Samaritan, especially one who had been seemingly cursed with leprosy, and yet Jesus does it. God's mercy was fully realized in this man's life through Jesus. He didn't need to go and be in the temple, in the inner court, the holy place, or even the holy of holies, because he was worshiping, giving thanks, glory to God at the foot of Jesus. Notice in verse 12, he went from being a leper, keeping his distance away, to now he's drawing right near Jesus. He's at the foot of Jesus. You can't get any closer to somebody. It didn't matter who this guy was. The mercy of Jesus was able to overcome any condition and any cross-cultural divide that made this man feel like an outcast left out alone. That didn't matter. This mercy could save all people, regardless of who they were, regardless of their condition, whether Samaritan, leper, or whatever else. Jesus' mercy cannot be restrained or defined by man. This is amazing news because it serves as a small picture of how powerful the gospel of Christ is and how it'll continue to work to build his church. In Revelation 7, when Jesus returned, it tells us that there's a multitude of people, and they come from all nations and people groups that no one can number, and they are worshiping God, praising him, giving him thanks and glory like this man is here. You see, here in this passage, we get a small glimpse of that, a foreshadow of that. No matter who you are and what you've done, his mercy is available for all. The mercy of God knows no bounds. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but this is incredibly encouraging when it comes to sharing the gospel. 
We often are not willing to share with others because we assume all sorts of reasons or we can point to a number of barriers that may keep this person from coming to Christ. And rather than doing it, we assume, you know what, I'm just going to do it because, you know, they're not going to believe because this, this, or that. And here's a reminder that nothing can stop the mercy of God found in Christ from penetrating a person's heart, no matter what circumstance or situation they're in. Let's see Jesus' response here in verses 17 and 18. Here, Jesus asks three rhetorical questions. It's interesting. He knows the answer to all of them. He knows all the 10 were healed. He knows where the other nine are. He told them where to go. He knows for sure that only one came back. He sees them. So why is Jesus doing this? Why is this Jesus' response? Well, again, Jesus wants to draw a contrast between this one man and the other nine. The other nine had not seen beyond the healing, and so they didn't display a desire to thank nor glorify God. They had received what they wanted, and they were done. They sought nothing more in Jesus, just the healing. They got what they wanted, and that was it. These nine had enjoyed the gift more than the giver. They wanted the healing without the healer. They had seen their condition. They had seen Jesus heal them and even seen that glimpse of mercy, but in that had completely missed to see Jesus. And before we judge these nine lepers, we need to be on guard in this in our own hearts because we too can often use Jesus as a means to an end in our own lives. We can easily tie our relationship with him and according to the things that he can give us. We can often pray, God, if you could just give me this or that, then I will do this for you. Or we feel like God's love and care for us is dependent on him answering the requests that we want and giving us the things we want in our lives, whether material, circumstantial, or relational. God, if you could just give me this, then my life would be so much better. If you could just give me that, then I would do this for you. When God says no, what is our reaction to that? Do we feel distant from God? Sometimes we think that if we do more moral or Christian things, then surely God will give us what we want. And when we don't get them, we wonder if God is really for us. We wonder if he's withholding good from us or if he's disappointed with us. We are willing to give God glory and thanks as long as we feel like he can give us what we want. See, Jesus is not a means to an end, brother or sister. He's not a butler who is there to meet your every want and desire. We need to be on guard in our hearts from this. Jesus gives us our greatest need, mercy, and the greatest gift of that mercy is we get God himself. We believe the gospel because it provides us God himself. Jesus draws this contrast because he wants to honor this type of faith in this man. It is a saving faith. Look there at verse 19. Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. This is a saving faith. This man has a saving faith in the merciful one, Jesus. This was the difference between him and the other nine. It's what made him be fully aware of Jesus and the mercy that went beyond the healing of his leprosy. This man displayed a saving faith. It's a faith here that Jesus says saves. The man's faith is showing us Jesus. The other nine had experienced a glimpse of God's mercy in part through their healing, but it did not save them. And what good was that? Yes, their physical bodies would be healed for a moment and vastly improved, but how good was it knowing that their physical bodies would eventually fail again? through old age or sickness, and even more importantly, what would come of their eternal condition? Listen to Romans 121, talking about those who don't have saving faith. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him, 
nor gave him thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Does this not describe the other nine? They knew about Jesus. They got a taste of Jesus's mercy. They even experienced his common grace in this moment, but they neither glorified him nor thanked him. See, you can experience the common grace of God. You can even be blessed by God. You can even say that you're a Christian and you can choose to follow some things that the Bible says. And you can do all of that and completely fail to see Jesus and have faith in the merciful one. Saving faith is about looking at the mercy of God in your life and pointing it back to Jesus constantly over and over and resulting in giving him glory and thanks. Saving faith always returns to Jesus and ends up in giving him glory and thanks, resulting in worship. This is what we see in this man. He's healed. He immediately returns to Jesus and worships him, giving glory and thanks. The Christian faith is a saving one that works in the life of a person and always results in this type of worship. If you're a Christian, brothers and sisters, how aware of you, how aware of you of God's mercy in your life? Lamentations 3 tells us that his mercies are new every morning, and that is true because God knows we need them. Is your salvation resulting in worship and thanks to God? When was the last time you simply just thanked God for his redemptive and merciful work in your life? Have you lost the awe and wonder of the mercy that saved you in your hopeless condition as a sinner? If you're lacking in your worshipness and thankfulness to God, it's probably because you've forgotten the condition you were in. You have forgotten to appreciate the mercy God has extended to you in Christ. It might be a statement of fact that you know. It might be a theological concept that you know. But is that truth leading you to worship? As we consider both of these points this morning, morning, the Christian life is all about recognizing your sinful condition and coming to him for mercy over and over again. Is that not the Christian life? Repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. That is what it is. The more this, you see the depth of your sin and desperation, the bigger the gospel gets and you realize how much you need of God's mercy over and over again. And the more you do that, the more you see Jesus, the more you make much of him. And that results in praise and glory and thanks to him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't simply save us to give us our wants or to make our lives better. He does this to make us better worshipers of him. Don't trample on the mercy of God that we have in Jesus. God wants you to know that despite your sin, who you are and what you do, he wants you to recall the mercy that's been extended to you in Christ. He's giving you that mercy in order to fully worship him. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want you to know that Christianity is not about, the, not about the strength of your faith, but rather it's about the object of your faith. And the object of the Christian faith, real saving faith, is Jesus, the merciful one. It's about placing all of our faith in him. It's who he is and what he's done for us. It's not about us performing or pretending or earning our salvation as a means to be right with God. But it's about this life of repentance. It's about admitting how weak and needy we are and trusting in his mercy afresh and constantly over and over in order to more fully worship and thank God and give him glory. He is the merciful one who came to this earth, suffered and died and rose from the dead so that you would be saved. He wants you, non-Christian friend, to have saving faith in him. As we close here this morning... I want you to listen closely to 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 
I think it really captures the essence of this text. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, listen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you hear that? Know your condition. Know your need for mercy. We're sinners. Listen to this. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you admit your need for mercy and go to the merciful one, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness, all of it. You don't have to wonder or guess. That is his mercy at work. BBC, God wants you to see his mercy. He wants you to see it by knowing your need for mercy and by having saving faith in Jesus, the merciful one who can provide it in full. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to wonder or guess about who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you that you've given us your word as a hope and a reminder of just our condition. Father, I pray that we feel the desperation of what our condition is apart from you. I pray that you would help us grow in gratitude and come to your mercy afresh over and over and over again so that we could see more of you and be able to fully give you glory, honor, and thanks. It is in your name we pray. Amen.